Good afternoon, Celtics fans, and welcome to another edition of CLNS Radio Celtics Beat. I'm your host, Rich Conti, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Dr. Andre Snellings of Rotowire. In a little bit, Andre and I will be joined by our guest, Brian Mahoney of the Associated Press. Before I bring in Andre, I want to remind folks about the CLNS Radio Celtics Ticket Giveaway to celebrate our podcast becoming available on iTunes and Stitcher. Simply head over to iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe to Celtics Beat, give us a rating and a review, and you'll be automatically entered into a drawing to win two tickets to any Celtics home game of your choosing this upcoming season. On our October 25th show, we'll we'll read the winning review on air and announce the winner. We're excited to be on iTunes and Stitcher and want to share that excitement with you. Well, Andre, training camp and the preseason are underway. The season is so close I can taste it. The Celtics opened the preseason with blowout wins over a couple of division rivals, the Philadelphia 76ers and the New York Knicks. Can we take anything away from these games, or is it too early to start watching for things we can expect to see during the regular season? So, yeah, I would say we could um, take away, you know, a few things as far as um, looking at how comfortable some of the Celtics look, um, you know, whether we feel like they may have improved a certain skill or, or you know, see if they've, they've put in some work over the summer. But I don't think you can – you have to take all of the actual game results with a huge grain of salt because, you know, um, it's preseason. Teams aren't necessarily going out there trying to win. They're going out there trying to see what works. So, um, you know, so when I look and I see Sullinger knocking down three three-pointers, you know, after last year he already kind of showed – an increased emphasis in three-point shooting. Um, to me, that's something I might note. That's something that could translate. Okay, he's he's working on seeing can he be comfortable operating quite a bit from behind the three-point arc. So, so that's something I like to see. But um, if a random person scores a lot of points, or or the fact that they beat the 76ers, you know, that that doesn't really tell me much about what to expect overall. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. The results really don't matter so much, particularly when you consider the wins were over Philadelphia, who you know most folks know will struggle this season, and the Knicks, of course, trying to implement a whole new system with the triangle under Phil Jackson and Derek Fisher. So I would expect those teams to be a bit behind the curve. And the Celtics, to their credit, you know, were prepared and went out, and they struggled a little bit shooting the first game against the Sixers, but uh, really looked good offensively against New York. So it was nice to see that they were prepared. And, and I think we can expect that from a Brad Stevens uh, coach team this season. But, you know, whether that translates into significant differences in the wins column, you know, that that obviously is is still remains to be seen. I think one thing I did notice and one that did stand out to me that I think we can look for is a really heavy reliance offensively on Marcus Thornton, uh, particularly off the bench, maybe to start the season. You know, I think he's one of those guys like a Jordan Crawford last year where Danny Ainge is hoping to maybe bring him in and, and see if Brad Stevens can work a little bit of that magic to a little bit of that Butler magic to, uh, you know, <laughs> to, to, to create a little value out of him and, you know, hopefully make him an attractive piece in a trade down the road. And, you know, are there some, some things you're hoping to see during those first 14 games through the end of November? Yeah. So um, it's interesting that you mentioned that the Butler magic, because, in the preseason so far and and just the general vibe around the team it almost feels like a college team you know like there are there are a lot of players that they're expecting contributions from um looking like they might go 10 deep which is the kind of thing you you normally might see on a college court that maybe not so much on, on the nba court so to start the season the things that i'm looking for are um, i want to see how uh rondo and, and and smart are able to coexist 
I want to see if um, Sullinger, uh, for the second preseason in a row, he's getting rave reviews uh, about how he looks early on. And so I want to see if, if he looks like he might be able to take that kind of Al Jefferson type step to being maybe not a frontline superstar, but someone that could consistently be, you know, one of the, the, the pillars of the team. So I'll be paying attention to that. Evan Turner, I, I, his early reviews in the preseason have also been positive. So um, I want to see how he plays next to Rondo. Both are, are players that can do a lot of things, but not necessarily shoot. And you could throw smart into that same mix. So uh, I kind of want to see what the dynamic of, of the team's backcourt is going to be. I guess, heck, you could throw the same, do, say the same about Avery Bradley, though at least he does have three-point range. So essentially, I just want to see where all the p- pieces fit. What's the hierarchy going to be? Who can show that they, they're worth something? And um, just, you know, what's it going to look like? Yeah, kind of the same for me. I like the uh, how the pieces fit idea and and that's going to be something I'm looking for. I also want to see you mentioned Sollinger and you know he's obviously in better condition than he was last year. He's dropped a little bit of weight and interesting thing for me to see is how he moves around defensively. So far in the first two games, he's looking a little bit more active and we know he's undersized. He's never going to be a a rim protector in the classic sense, but his rookie year, he showed some degree of aptitude for being that kind of defensive backline communicator, uh, kind of in mm-hmm. the same mold as, as KG, although obviously, you know, we can't expect that <laughs> that same level of impact defensively out of him. But if he can at least, you know, be a guy that's able to rotate on the back line and, and cut off guys, you know, taking the ball to the basket, that was one of the team's biggest challenges defensively last year. You know, I think they can be a much improved defensive team if they're able to get anything in the interior out of Sullinger or uh, Tyler Zeller because because I think on the perimeter, when you look at guys like Avery Bradley, guys like Marcus Smart, who I'm really interested to see what he can do against real NBA competition when the games start for real on the defensive end. And even Rondo, I think you know there's the opportunity when he comes back, and, and particularly if he misses the first couple of games of the season, and, and Smart and Bradley are really out there being disruptive on the defensive end in the way that we know they can be, I have a feeling that could be contagious with Rondo. We know Rondo's got that ability. He did that early in his career. As a matter of fact, that was probably the strength of his game early in his career. That's when he first showed he could really significantly impact games at the highest level was on the defensive end. We all remember remember his performance in game six against the Lakers in 2008, where I think he had six or seven steals in the game and, and was just a tremendously disruptive force. And if he can go back to being that, wow, that's a tremendous defensive backcourt they've got there that can create a lot of trouble for teams trying to initiate their offense. And that'll take a lot of pressure off of Sullinger and Zell and Olenek and Bass and some of the other big guys inside as as it you know maybe you know gets when the ball does get inside teams are operating with a lot less on the shot clock so that's the thing I'm going to be looking for is how the team kind of comes out of that gate defensively really to start the season yeah no I, I again I think um you know you were mentioning that backcourt and the defensive potential and again it, it puts me in the mind of a college team a lot of times uh, pro defenses are built from the center out, whereas in college, a lot of times you'll see it built from the, the perimeter in. You know, you'll, you'll see the, the um, full court pressing teams or, or those that really trap out on the perimeter. And um, the, the Celtics have the type of talent among their, their uh, backcourt that they almost could 
conceivably recreate a 40 minutes of hell type environment in the backcourt, <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, I don't know if that is what the strategy will be, but, you know, they had that potential. So you're right. That does make it a very interesting proposition to see how it plays out. And with Sullinger, you know, and I think we've seen in the NBA in recent years, you know, Times have changed. Used to be the defense was all about having that shot-blocking center. But these days, a lot of times, the best defenses and the best defenders aren't necessarily shot-blockers. So Sully's never going to be a shot-blocker. But if he can move his feet quickly, if he can learn the rotations, if he can uh, provide help defense by cutting players off before they get to the point where they want to shoot, and if he can communicate, and those are, uh, you know, that's a, a lot of ifs, but if he can do those things, he could be a plus defensive um, uh, player in the middle, even without the ability to, to challenge shots at the rim. Somewhere Nolan Richardson is out there smiling about your 40, 40 <laughs> minutes of hell reference. And, you know, we've, we talked a lot about the defensive end of the court. Is there another area you think that the Celtics have an opportunity to be significantly improved over last year? I guess the other thing I was thinking about when you were describing those players is a lot of them are very athletic for their position. You know, the bigs, not so much, but all three of the backcourt players the reason they're such good defenders is they're excellent athletes. There's a lot of quickness. Um, with Evan Turner and Jeff Green, they're, they're, those are also guys that can get out and run the break. So um, I guess I could foresee potentially this being more – they have the opportunity to be more of a fast-breaking team than they, they were before, which would also tie in with the, the, the defensive theme, right? You, you know, if, if your defense is disruptive and, and creating uh, turnovers and then you have players that are athletic enough to get out and run and finish um, – I could see that being something that perhaps could could be a bit of an identity for this team. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you know Stevens wants to play them, wants him to play a little bit more up tempo. And as you mentioned, they sort of do have the athletes to do it. And I think this team's best chance at scoring efficiently is going to be early in the shot clock. Is going to be if they can push the ball up court and catch other defenses before they can get set. And they've got the athletes to do it. I think once the game kind of settles down into a half court set, I think they're going to struggle to space the floor. They don't really, you know, unless Avery Bradley kind of takes another uh, step and uh, up in, in his three-point shooting, they really don't have anybody that's going to stretch a defense. I know Olenek has shown some flashes from outside. Sullinger has. You know, Jeff Green is is pretty good with, with the corner three, but overall, there's just not that level of shooting from the outside that you think of when you think of teams like San Antonio who really, you know, their offense runs on that spacing and their ability to kind of draw teams out on the perimeter and then carve them up with the passing. So I think, you know, the Celtics have the players that can play that up-tempo game, and it, I think it's really going to be important for them if they're going to score efficiently at all. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, and the Celtics' offense, again, it, it really depends on how the minutes are distributed, but a lot of their main players, as you said, the, or you know, and as I've alluded to, the backcourt players aren't necessarily strong shooters, but potentially the frontcourt players are. You know, So it, it could be a really interesting dynamic if Olenek and or Sullinger are spending a lot more time out by the three-point arc and pulling opposing teams, big men, out of the paint and, and, and providing the spacing for the rondos and the, the smarts of the world to, to, to drive to the rim, um, you know, to, to finish inside. It's kind of a reversal of roles, but it'll be interesting to see if that can be at all effective. Well, let's turn our attention to the NBA in general and bring in our guest. Brian Mahoney covers the NBA for the Associated Press. And our interview with Brian is brought to you by BeatsAndEats.net. Food, comedy, pop culture, and more. That's BeatsAndEats.net. Well, welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks for joining us again. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, preseason is underway and the regular season is less than a month away. What are the most compelling storylines you're following between now and then? Well, obviously a lot of eyes are on Cleveland and, uh, you know, whether or not having LeBron back there, you can finally get them over the top after they were able to get close but couldn't get it done the first time around. And, uh, you know, I think there's obviously a lot of eyes on the power teams in the West. Uh, is San Antonio still good enough? Or do you look at the Oklahoma City, Clippers, uh, Rockets, Warriors? There's, it's such a good conference out there. And, uh, you know, in the East, it's maybe people think maybe two teams, maybe it's Cleveland, Chicago. But I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of these groups. Uh, some of them are basically the same teams they were last year, like San Antonio. And some of them are going to look a lot different, team like the the Bulls having Paul Gasol in, having Derek Rose back. So a lot of fun stuff to watch. Speaking of those Bulls, earlier in the week there was a bit of a dust-up in the Wizards-Bulls preseason game. Um, the Wizards are also making a push to be considered contenders. Are they realistically capable of making noise in the playoffs? I think they are. You know, and I was surprised last year by what they did in the, in the playoffs. I kind of discounted them right away. I thought they would be lucky to win a game or two. I just didn't think they were ready yet, but... Now, when you look at a second year there together with Wall and Beal, if they stay healthy, uh, getting Paul Pierce, I think he's got some game left in him. Uh, Gortat and Nene gives you a nice inside combination. And, you know, as long as their bench can get them stuff, I think that's a nice unit, and they have some good experience now. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if they're in the same group as Cleveland, Chicago, but certainly there's a chance they could be by later in the year. And a lot of folks are are ordaining the Cavs as favorites in the East before their new Big Three has played a game together. How do you think their dynamic unfolds, especially compared to the Big Three in Miami and before that, the way Pierce, Garnett, and Allen came together in Boston? You know, I think what's interesting is the same thing as when LeBron went to Miami. It's the ability to build a team around him. And, you know, when, when he got to Cleveland and it was okay, him and, and Kyrie and Kevin Love, and you say, okay, that's really good, but you need more. And you now be able to get a Sean Marion, be able to get Mike Miller. Eventually, if they get Ray Allen, then I think you've got a title contending team, a very good team. Uh, you know, Miami was able to do that when they first put the big three together. They got in Mike Miller. They were able to keep Adonis Haslam. They got guys around them. And, you know, that's what you need. You can't do it with three guys. I don't care how good those three are. You have to have a team around them. And Cleveland has done a good job doing that. And I think now... Uh, you know, we thought no matter what, they were going to be good. Now I think they're going to be title contending level good. Can you envision any scenario at all where they don't win 55-plus games this season? You know, I think they get in the 50s. Uh, it, it's hard to say how long it takes to, to win, uh, to put it all together. If, they, if it happens quickly, they could be a 60-win team. Uh, there's enough talent there and enough depth and everything. But when you look at having a, a first-time NBA coach and having all these new guys playing together, you know, maybe they lose a couple early on while they're still trying to figure it all out. As we remember, you know, the first heat team, I think, started 9-8 and eight or something. Uh, it takes a little bit of time no matter how good you are. So I think Cleveland eventually is going to be a, a dominant-type team, but it just may not happen uh, until, I don't know, maybe even into January. Uh, it could be sooner, but maybe not. But uh, those are things that I think even those guys, now even LeBron said, uh, you know, it takes time to do this and, and I think everyone's aware that it, it could take a little bit of time. I mean, in fact, they're all the new pieces together they've got. And you referenced the Western Conference earlier, and San Antonio seems to be finally getting the benefit of the doubt after several years of folks, I guess, expecting it to be the year that, that age catches up to them and they fall back to the pack. What do you expect out of them this season? More of the same? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, they are basically bringing back the whole team, and you're right. There's a lot of us, and you know, myself said, okay, maybe – 
they've reached the end. They got, you know, after they lost to Miami uh, a couple of years ago, you said, okay, maybe they're too old now. And then they come back and do it again. And now you say, all right, maybe they're not too old to do it. But it is another year now. And uh, at least you do got to stay right. You always got to stay healthy like you did last year and not the year before when he was banged up. And, you know, Tim Duncan has got to show he can still handle the, the load, which he seems like he still can and everything. And even Tony Parker's a young guy uh, in, in reality, but when you start playing at 19 years old like he did, uh, there's a lot of mileage on those tires. So I think the Spurs are going to be very good again. Are they good enough to hold off uh, the Thunder and the, and the Clippers? I'm not sure. If they if they don't, I don't think it's because they suddenly did get too old and, and lost their uh, – you know, fighting mentality they had last year up in heartbreak the year before. If they don't win, I think it's because just someone in the West was better than them. So they had a difficult offseason. The uh, moves they tried to make seemed to backfire on them a bit. Um, are they still a contender out West? Well, I think they are. Uh, you know, when you talk about having, you know, Harden and Howard, they're still going to be really good uh, in getting Trevor Reed to help them. But you're right. Uh, they're a team that thought they could maybe do something major this summer, and they didn't. And, um, you know, I'm not sure how much better they are. When you talk about the moves they did to, to grade the room, letting uh, letting Ashley go and letting Jeremy Lin go, those are good players that, you know, have now moved on from their team. Uh, so, and obviously, William Parsons, when you throw that in as well. Uh, so, there's still a chance for them to be good, but if you had a look at the teams in the West who maybe someone takes a step backward this year, I think a lot of people point their finger at them and say maybe they're not a you know, a 55-win team anymore. Maybe they're a 50-win team. Still very good, but 50 wins in the West, you may be like the you know, fifth seed, something like that. So uh, I think Houston's a team that's very good still, but, but not what we thought they could have been, not what they thought they could have been on July 1st. And every day it seems we're hearing more and more about the impending new TV deal and what it'll mean for the salary cap and the CBA itself. Earlier in the week, Mark Cuban suggested the NBA might do away with max deals and LeBron hinted it being the player's turn now that the new deal is finalized. Could this new TV deal actually precipitate another work stoppage? Well, it's very possible. Uh, You know, a lot of us don't really know what's going to happen. That includes players and and management. Uh, There's a lot of reasons for the players opt out of this deal now and, and, you know, with all the new money coming in through this TV deal, think they can get a better deal. At the same time, if they do opt out and maybe the owners then push for some more changes they don't want and then we end up with another work stoppage. Uh, certainly, with all the money coming in now, the owners could afford to not play some games if they wanted to. Though the TV money is guaranteed and to a large extent. So, I'm, you know, I'm hoping that it doesn't happen having covered the last lockout. It's, uh, you know, it's not fun for anybody, but mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I do think obviously players have to look long and hard about seeing right now if they can do better than the deal they got, which they agreed to when times weren't as good. Now, obviously, times are very, very good, and in, in their mind, I'm sure they think there's a better deal out there for them. Pat Riley and the Heat kind of refused to throw in the towel when LeBron left. Uh, they went out and signed a couple of guys, including Lou Aldang, and they brought back Chris Bosch, who apparently made news when he said that he and LeBron haven't spoken since then. So um, are the Heat still a playoff team, and uh, just how can they be? They're still a playoff team. Uh, how good they be? They're one of the interesting teams to watch this year. Uh, still some some very good pieces, uh, depending on how many games Dwayne Wade can play. I mean, it, it can't be the Dwayne Wade from last year. They need him to be healthy and actually play a lot, uh, much more than they did last year. And, you know, getting Luol Deng is a real nice piece. Uh uh, you know, they were able to do some things, bringing Nick Roberts in, uh, Shabazz Napier, I think it's going to be good and young, fine for them. So I think Miami's still a good team, uh, but it's a matter of 
and a good enough to get into that top, uh, maybe home court advantage type group. I'm not sure. Uh, it may be uh, teams like Toronto and Washington are now a little better than them. That remains to be seen. But the Heat are a team certainly that uh, the sky hasn't totally fallen. They lost the best player in the world, but they still have a lot of talent there and, and uh, a great organization top to bottom, good coach, obviously Pat Riley. So uh, I think they're going to hang around, uh, certainly a playoff team for years to come. If you had to pick a team that might surprise fans this season, who would it be? Uh, you know, good question. Uh, because last year we looked at a team like Phoenix, for example, who we thought was going to be a lottery team, and uh, a high lottery team, and possibly even be a tanking team that won 48 games. So when you look around and you see who can kind of be that, that group of team, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe in Indiana, who we think is going to fall back after losing Paul George and Stevenson, still have some good pieces there. Maybe if you consider a team like that being in the playoffs and winning around, would that be a surprise with their experience? I'm not sure. But you look at, at a group there and say that that could be the kind of team that could do uh, pretty well based on who they still have. Along those same lines, instead of a team, how about a player? Um, is there any player around the league that you think is a candidate to make a surprisingly significant leap this year? Uh, you know, I look at a couple of the guys in, in Charlotte. Uh, you know, I think finally some uh, attention was brought to, to Al Jefferson. And uh, last year, I think that you could watch to see someone like Kemba Walker now get the same attention. Because when you start winning games and you get on TV a little bit, I think that certainly raised your profile. And I think now the chance they're going to do pretty well bringing Lance Stevenson in there. They're going to win more games. And uh, the guy who has the ball in their hands is going to get a lot of attention. That's Kemba. So I think a, a possible jump there is something that could uh, work out in his favor. And how about a team that might disappoint and underachieve this season? Uh, you know, I, I think starting with Houston, like we just talked about, would, would be one. And, uh, you know, maybe a team like Brooklyn trying to figure out where, where they fit. Uh, you know, if, if they're healthy with uh, Darren Williams and Brooklyn Lopez coming back, uh, they might still be a pretty good team, but they haven't shown they can do that the last couple of years. So I think a team that could be a 45-win team could drop to that 35-40 to 40 win level if those guys can't stay in the lineup. And with the money they spent, still one of the highest payrolls in the NBA, that would be a, a disappointment. It was a busy offseason um, after a quiet trade deadline. Do you think that same pattern holds this year? You know, quiet in season and then the fireworks uh, next offseason? You know, it'll be interesting this offseason because obviously teams are going to want to wait until now next year when that salary cap is going to possibly take the big jump with the TV deal uh, the year after, 2016. And you're talking about Kevin Durant and LeBron James being free agents that summer. So, we'll, you know, there's a chance that if someone wants to strike quickly, they can do it next summer while teams are being inactive. But I'm not sure how many of them want to do that. You know, the money is going to be... They'll have more to play with the year after. They may wait it out. So it's interesting. If I were a GM, I would want to say, okay, we can make a move right now and do this. But a lot of them may say it's a better move to wait a year. So it means you got to plays out. I think it'll be fun to watch, you know, around trade deadline time, who, who makes moves to open up more payroll. Uh, if they do, you're going to see they're willing to make a move uh, right here and now as opposed to, to not waiting it out. Is there any player that you think could be on the move this season? I, you know, Rondo's probably the name that most comes to mind, uh, and that's really been the case for the last two years. Uh, once uh, Pierce and Garnett weren't brought back, everyone said, okay, Rondo's the next name, and whether they would have done it last year if he was healthy, no one really knows. You know, and now it's the same thing. Uh, they've already had rumors since, uh, you know, ownership saying they're not going to trade him and Danny Ainge. 
uh, always talking about it, and we still don't really know what to think. Uh, the rumor hasn't gone away. So uh, if you're looking at uh, you know a name to watch, I think that's it. If, if Marcus Smart, uh, who they brought in on the draft, plays well early on to guard position and maybe makes Rondo more expendable, knowing he's coming up in the contract year, I could see someone go ahead and make it a move for him if the Celtics actually want to treat him. And again, uh, no one can really figure that out. Brian Mahoney of the Associated Press. You can follow him on Twitter at Brian C. Mahoney. As always, Brian, a pleasure to talk to you, and thanks for giving us your time tonight. Yeah, thank you, guys. Nice talking with you. Interesting to hear Brian's take on the upcoming season, Dre. How about we do a little bit of a season preview for the listeners? All right, let's do it. Let's Nostradamus what's going to happen this year. All right. All right, let's start with the playoff teams in the East. Who do you have earning those eight playoff spots? Okay, well, I'm sure, um, you know, Cleveland's always in the lottery, so I'm, I'm sure they won't make it. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I've, of course, you, you can't start in the East without the, the Cavs. So I've got Cleveland. I think Chicago is is a favorite to be a two seed. I've got, uh, unlike Brian, um, <laughs> I think the surprise team out the East this year is going to be Brooklyn. I think they'll just be a, a year later with the expectations that people had on them last year. Um, you got Washington, uh, Toronto. Toronto uh, is, is still young and solid. Um, I think the Pacers are still a playoff team, even with uh, Paul George down. Then I will go with Charlotte and round it out with... Uh, they, they were ugly last year, and the triangle is going to be ugly this year. But I'm going to say that, that, that the Knicks sneak in with that eight playoff, uh, playoff spot out east. Oh, there you go. All right. Well, I'm going to go uh, very similar to you, Chicago and Cleveland uh, in the top two spots. I'm going to go with Washington in the third spot. Uh, then it starts to get a little messy, but I see Charlotte, uh, Miami, I think will we'll, we'll make it, as uh, Brian mentioned. Uh, Atlanta, uh, I'm going to go with, I think, with Horford back. I think they're, uh, you know, they're certainly in a weak East. They're going to be a, a team that make the playoffs. I think Brooklyn still gets in and, and Toronto. And so I think those first three are going to be really competitive. I actually think it'll take Cleveland a little while to figure things out defensively, honestly. If you look at that team, uh, you know, obviously they've got all the offensive firepower, but uh, other than LeBron and and maybe Verizhao, you don't have anybody who's even a passable NBA defensive player. And you've got a couple of guys in in Kyrie and Kevin Love who are downright liabilities defensively. So I think it's going to take a little while for Cleveland to fight it out and or to figure it out. And in the meantime, Chicago and Washington will be right there battling with them. And then the other thing I think is going to be fascinating is is Brooklyn and Toronto battling it out for the Atlantic title and that guaranteed top four. Seed. I think that'll be interesting because I honestly think both teams are going to struggle. I think they'll both struggle to win 45 games, and you could have a division winner in the Atlantic and a, a four seed in the playoffs with, with 45 or maybe even a, a couple fewer wins, and I think that'll be, be interesting. How about the West? Um, I'm going with uh, some of the obvious candidates, OKC, the Clippers, uh, San Antonio. I think they're back at it for another year. Golden State, I like where they're at, and I think they may actually be threatening the top three this year. I think Houston takes a step back, uh, but they're still going to be in that kind of four to six mix in the West. I still like Memphis, uh, particularly if, if Gasol is back and healthy. Uh, I'm going to go with a bit of a surprise team in the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, I think they're going to make some noise this year. And um, we're going to round it out in the West with the Portland Trailblazers. And again, the, the West is going to be brutal. And I think a couple of good teams in Dallas and Phoenix are going to be on the outside looking in. Yeah, 
the the West. Well, obviously, but before I mention uh, the West, I do have to go back and and, and point out that uh, me not mentioning Miami in the East was an obvious oversight um, because uh, I actually they're, they're one of my dark horse teams in the East just because if Dwayne Wade is healthy, they on paper would have a really good team. So um, so yeah, that was my fault. Miami also in the mid to the West, as you said, it's um it, it's <laughs> in the words of a, a famous ex Celtic. Uh, the West is just going to be a bar fight. You know, it's just there's there's no other way around it. Um, there are at least 10 teams, um, maybe more, that are legitimate playoff worthy rosters. And you only got eight slots. So, um, you know, I, the, the San Antonio's, Oklahoma City, these Clippers, um, I, I think they're givens. Once you get past there, I would say the next seven teams is kind of playing musical chairs. Uh, best five out of seven. Um, I think Houston will still be good. I like the the um, the, the the Harden and and, and Howard uh, two piece, but they did lose a lot of talent, and so it wouldn't be me if they were the team to slid the forty eight wins, which might not be enough to make it to the playoffs. Um, I think you could say the same with Portland. They 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 made magic happen last year, but you know, does what, what was that magic sustainable and repeatable? They were playing a style of, of offense, especially that most teams don't play. So. I think everything else is a question mark. If you know, if I have to pick eight teams and eight teams only, I'll go with San Antonio, Oklahoma City, the Clippers, um, Golden State, Memphis. I think I think Portland's going to stay in it. I'll I'll keep Houston in there, even if I wouldn't be surprised if they fail. I agree with you that the Pels are a young team on the come, but. I think that people tend to sleep on Dallas and if, if Dirk is healthy and, you know, the, the, the players that they brought in were, were small, but, but you know, kind of, they were solid, just like always. So I think Dallas ekes out that uh, eighth playoff spot. Yeah, it was hard for me to leave Dallas out of that. Obviously, I think Nowitzki is still... Uh, improving his game. I think you, you might have read this offseason. He was working on uh, making his release a little bit quicker, which almost sounds <laughs> a bit unfathomable. I <laughs> guess, I guess, yeah, I guess he does have a bit of a windup, but it's not like anybody could, could you know, really affect the shot anyways. And I like what Monte Ellis did on, the, on that team last year. And I love Chandler Parsons as a young up and coming player. But man, I, I, I'm starting to try to beat the drum and, and, and get the bandwagon going for the New Orleans Pelicans this year. You know, I think. They're just, you know, as you mentioned, a team on the rise. I love the Omera Sheik signing. Uh, I think they've got a lot of interchangeable parts out in the perimeter with a lot of athletes. So it, it's it's going to be interesting there. And and Portland, you know, I think that's one of those teams. Like you said, they caught magic at the beginning of last year, and they they really could have tailed off, you know, once you got past February. And you know, I wonder if they might suffer a little bit of a hangover. Although you know, it's it's hard to say when you've got a young point guard like Damian Lillard really just you know coming on so it's it's like i said it's it's brutal out there and you've got good teams out there that are going to be going to be missing out how about the mvp race last year kevin durant unseated lebron james and we also have the last non-lebron mvp coming back from injury in direct in derrick rose uh, who who's your pick for mvp this year does it go back to lebron yeah, I'm, I'm going chalk. I mean, you know, Durant is amazing and he's getting better. So, you know, he, he could be even better this year, though. I think that Westbrook's presence when he's healthy kind of hinders some of Durant's personal upside. Um, but I mean, the, the MVP race, anytime a major player changes teams, 
if that team comes out and plays well, that the, then, you know, the player in question is always a, a favorite for the MVP. Um, it almost won Garnetta MVP in Boston, you know, and I really think that the, the Cleveland is going to be good. I think that, that Verizal is kind of under the radar, especially because he tends to get injured. But I think with, between he and LeBron, the defense is going to be solid. I think they're going to come out and it's going to be as magical as, as people might hope uh, the storyline would be. So I think uh, uh, LeBron beats out Durant. I don't think Rose will necessarily challenge. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think LeBron James is, is your MVP for, what, the fifth, fifth time now? I, I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, great call on Varejao. I've always liked him as a, a player in Cleveland, and really he's their, I think, their only saving grace uh, defensively. You know, LeBron can certainly turn it up when he wants to, but he's just, you know, he's got so many other responsibilities, and, you know, he's 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 coming up on 30, and, and I don't think he can, can play that, that high-caliber <laughs> defense. old man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he can play that high-caliber defense, you know, uh, you know, for 40 minutes, and, you know, Varejao is in, injury-prone, but if he can stay healthy, I think he can be a little bit of that glue. In terms of MVP, I'm going to go with a surprise, and you might have guessed it from my my playoff teams out west, but I am all in on the Pelicans, and I'm going to say Anthony Davis makes the leap (laughs) this year and injects his name as one of the three best players in the league. He's got a sheik next to him to take on some of the burden inside, and I think that's just going to allow his game to flourish, and and he's my pick for, for MVP. That's very interesting, and you know, obviously, uh, as I, with my work with RotoWire, um, you know, I, I pay a lot of attention to fantasy basketball. And last season, that was one of the long-running discussions all year. Was is is this was last year the the last time that Anthony Davis wouldn't be the number one overall pick because fantasy-wise, he fills every category. You know, he scores. Good volume, good efficiency. He rebounds, he blocks shots, he uh, gets steals from the center position. Uh, he he passes well. Like there's nothing he doesn't do well um, on the court. The the ironically, his biggest weakness for somebody like me, who's uh, a, a big nerd, all into the plus minus stats, is that he just wasn't as good on defense as one would have expected him to be. The block shots didn't necessarily translate to defensive impact. Um, and and I think that comes with experience, with learning how to play positional defense instead of, you know, always going for the block, with with, with learning where to be. And I agree with you that Ashik's be, be, uh, presence is going to be monstrous on that front. So if he's able to work with Davis and, and kind of help him to fulfill his, his defensive potential in addition to to what he showed he could do last year on offense, that might not be a bad pick. Yeah, as much as I love Kevin Durant and am a fan of his game and would love to see him in, in Boston Celtics green, I think Davis is the guy who's really poised to grab the torch from LeBron, whether it's this year or next year, the year after that. You know, I believe it's going to happen because he, in, in a lot of ways, similar to LeBron, is you know a player and an athlete and a, and a, and a guy whose skills really just kind of transcends positions. And, and as you mentioned, there's really nothing on, on the court that, that, that he 
he can't do you know at least uh, you know well if not you know spectacularly and just you know um, while he's a different type of athlete than LeBron obviously the thing that I think he brings that that even LeBron can't is just the range the ranginess you know it, it it's like he's in some ways almost a, a combination of, of Durant and LeBron with you know Durant's length and LeBron's explosiveness and you know when he, when he puts the package all together and I think he'll do that this year it's it's just hard to see him not having that same type of impact that LeBron has and I think you know there, there's you know obviously a bit of LeBron fatigue around the league and um, and I'm probably as guilty of that as anybody and so I think if, if Davis can go out and make anything close to the impact that LeBron uh, can on the court he's going to draw a lot of attention and and you know get the vote of a lot of those folks who kind of want to see a, a bit of a torch passed so I can I can see um you know your your point on Davis and um and on Durant as well but I will say that I think Durant still has the ability to ramp up to another level when he adds more of a post game and starts moving more towards the four. I think that could really just take his impact to another level um, for a couple reasons. For one, the player we, we've never, I don't think, really seen an offensive player like Durant. But the player in this generation is probably most similar I- as far as uh, size and, and skill level to me would be Dirk Nowitzki. And if you, again, go back to those nerdy plus minus stats, you'll see that even though Durant, his efficiency and, and scoring and everything was just through the roof, even higher than Durant's. I mean, I'm sorry, even higher than Nowitzki's. Nowitzki tended to have the, the higher impact on plus minus stats. And I think that's because since he was playing the four, he was spacing the court by pulling big men out of the out of the paint. Whereas Durant was is pulling wings out and not affecting defenses as much, so um, we saw them experiment with with Durant at the four uh, towards the end of last year, and I think if we start seeing more of that, then um, it, you know his 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 impact, his spacing effect on the court is just going to be crazy. So I'm not counting him out of the race, you know. Um, uh, I think it's going to be LeBron. I hear your your Davis talk, but I think Durant's going to be right there. Yeah, that's a great point about Durant. And I think we saw that in the playoffs. He got more minutes at the four, and I think it, it definitely had an impact. And the game's changing. And so, you know, I think it's changing in the direction that a guy like you know Durant becomes even more supremely valuable than he is right now. So, you know, to me, those three guys, you know, by the end of this season, I think are going to be clearly head and shoulders really above the above the rest of the league. All right, let's move on to Rookie of the Year. Andrew Wiggins was the number one overall pick. Are you going to go with him to win Rookie of the Year? It's a much more interesting question now that he's in Minnesota than I think than it was when he was in Cleveland. Um, in Cleveland, I would have said definitely not because, you know, as, as on draft night, I don't think it was official that LeBron was going there, but I always felt that he was going there. And if, if Wiggins had to just fit in, I, I don't think, you know, he would be able to do it. What I saw in Vegas this summer didn't impress me. He wasn't as polished as I, I might have liked to see, but his athleticism is crazy. And I think in Minnesota, he's going to eventually get the opportunity to just kind of get the ball and shine. So um, I, I'll, I'll say that, that he's a possibility, but Jabari Parker to me is just, he's just the more polished player right now. He's, he's more NBA ready. He can do more things. He doesn't have to just rely on his athleticism. So for me, I think Jabari Parker is the rookie of the year this year. 
Yeah, the the thing Wiggins has going for him is clearly Flip Saunders is building that whole team and, and that whole brand really in, in Minnesota around this, hey, let's run up and down the court with athletes. Let's, you know, turn this into a lob city Midwest or I guess uh, Minnesota's the, the Midwest. And, you know, Wiggins is going <laughs> to be, a, yeah, Wiggins is going to get the, the, the benefit of that, you know, particularly with, with a guy like Ricky Rubio out there distributing. He should be on the, uh, on the receiving end of a lot of highlight plays, but but I'm with you, and I'm going to go with Jabari Parker also. I think the opportunity for him to put up big numbers offensively for Milwaukee is really there. And those numbers will make it difficult to take Wiggins over him, regardless of how much attention Wiggins draws with the alley-oop highlights. I think you know if you look at that Milwaukee roster, mm-hmm. while they've got you know, a young up and coming player in the Greek freak, his, you know, game isn't really about putting the ball in the basket. And you look at the rest of that roster and guys like John Henson and Larry Sanders, et cetera, you know, there isn't other than maybe OJ Mayo, anybody who really kind of stands out as a guy you look to, 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 to put up points. And so I think Parker's going to be able to come right in there and score the basketball. And I think he'll put up probably, you know, somewhere between 20 and 22 points a game, which, you know, really should kind of you know, draw most of the attention in the rookie of the year voting. Okay. So this next question, I don't want to ask you because <laughs> I know you're going to pick my player, but I have to you ask, go first. who is your pick? No, no, I'll, I'll let you go. Who is your pick for defensive player of the year? Oh, come on. I'm going with Davis again. You know, despite my affinity for old friend Tony Allen, who I think is hands down the best perimeter defender in the league, I think with, with Ashik taking on the opponent's low post threats, that's just going to free up the unibrow to just wreak havoc all over the defensive side of the court for the Pellies. I mean, again, that range, and I think, you know, you made a great point earlier about his shot blocking not necessarily translating to great overall defensive numbers because in chasing, you know, players around the court and chasing those those block shots and trying to have that, that broad-reaching impact on the defensive end, you know, that, that could in the long run, uh, you know, burn the, the Pelicans in a lot of cases when they didn't have somebody behind him. Now with a Sheik behind him, who's just really one of the premier interior defenders in the NBA and just that classic backline rim protector and communicator with a great ability to protect the rim, not just in terms of block shots, but in terms of moving his feet and rotating and being able to cut guys off and draw charges. Man, I just think that is, you know, just a recipe for disaster for opponents. In, in terms of what Davis is now to free to do all over the court. Who do you have? Uh, are you going with Davis as well? Oh, it's interesting. So, I've, I, okay, I, I've got a couple takes on this. Um, <laughs> I think that you're correct that Davis may be the favorite because I think he's going to be on an excellent – or I think he's going to be on a very good defensive team this year, and he's going to lead the NBA in block shots. And so generally among the defensive player of the year voters, that's the kind of thing that'll draw an eye and you can build a storyline around it because he's a good young up and coming player. So I think Davis may actually be the favorite to win the award, but I think the actual DPOI, the actual defensive player of the year might just be his teammate Omar Ashik. You know, I think that. He's the one that at the end of the year, when, when, once we start parsing out those plus minus numbers, I think he's going to be the one that the major defense or the biggest defensive impact on those Pelicans. And, and so I think Davis may win the award, even though Ashik may deserve the award. Um, and uh, just as I'm signing off on the defensive player of the year, um, <laughs> this is going to be a, a Dre being Dre moment. But I'm telling you, 
look out for the seven foot old man in Brooklyn who last year, for some reason, Jason Kidd only let him play 19, 20 minutes a game. Um, but when Kevin Garnett left Boston those last couple years, he was playing still at a defensive player of the year caliber level, according to all of the, the funny stats I like to look at. And in the box scores, his 2012-2013, if we took the names off and I just put the stats of, of Duncan and Garnett up there, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Um, new coach Lionel Hollins has come in and said, you know, um, I'm not going to put a minutes restriction on there. I, I don't think KG can play minutes a night. Well, I'll say I'd be surprised if he does for, for 80 games, which is what he would need to really be in the um, the defensive player of the year uh, vote. But um, I don't know. I, I'll just say he, he's, a, he's somebody that I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah, my feelings for KG and the impact he makes defensively, even now at the tail end of his career, I think are pretty well known. I think he was really underrated defensively toward the tail end of his time in Boston. I think obviously he got a lot of recognition and won Defensive Player of the Year in 2008 and deservedly so. I think he really was playing at virtually the same level, maybe a slight notch down uh, in the subsequent years. Uh, and I think that that hurt him. I think that that high standard he set made it seem like, well, okay, this guy slipped, so he's he's not Defensive Player of the Year anymore. But I think he was still, if not you know, the most impactful, one of the, the two or three most impactful defensive players uh, in, in the NBA over most of his career with the Celtics. So I love that pick. And you know I love the the the, the respect you're giving Ashik. I can feel you jogging alongside the Pelicans bandwagon <laughs> right now. You're getting ready to jump on. But but yeah, I mean, you know, as, as much as Boston fans were disappointed in the, how the Kevin Love scenario played out, honestly, I was as disappointed that Houston turned around and traded Ashik to to uh, the Pelicans, I you know I was really hoping you know he would come to Boston and and be part of that that you know revival or that that let's start putting some pieces together where we can then maybe go out and get another uh, superstar. And so I was really disappointed with that trade, but I have gotten over it and I am now on the Pelicans bandwagon and Omer Sheik is is part of that. And I think I think you just folks will see a tremendous improvement in his game over last year. He was in a in a bad situation in Houston. Well, speaking of improvements in players, what about most improved player? Who do you got? Exactly. I was thinking that same thing. And honestly, Omer Sheik could be on that list. But um, we, we've done a lot of talking about New Orleans. So I'll go in a different direction. Um, I think I'll, I may stay close to the locale where I'm living now and say um, I'm, I'm looking at, at Andre Drummond. You know, he... he Started making uh, a bit of the leap last year, you know, uh, again, especially in fantasy circles, everybody was really noting uh, all of a sudden that he was putting up, you know, really, really good numbers. But um, I, I think he's he's got another level to the curve and, and I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say he'll hit it this year. And um, so I'll, I'll call for Andre Drummond. I like that Drummond pick. Uh, I think he needs to obviously work on his free throw shooting quite a bit. That's it's a big deficiency in his game right now. And I think if he stays, uh, spends less time on Twitter and Instagram, and and maybe gets in the gym and works on those free throws, <laughs> uh, you know, I think I think he's a, a good pick. I'm going to go with the Greek freak, and I'm I'm not even going to touch that last name. Uh, he's grown a couple of inches and improved his ball handling. There's even talk of him playing the two or even the one, which is just astounding to me. And with Parker around he doesn't have to be the focal point offensively and get to show off that all-around game and and kind of that unparalleled athleticism that he has yeah 
I love that pick. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, I was ranting and raving about how great he looked in Vegas this summer. And again, I was struggling with his name. And I believe uh, I was told the other players just call him Poe. So I'll call him Poe. Um, um, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, I think your pick might be better than mine, actually. He, he, when he was in Vegas, he looked like a man playing with boys, you know, and, and he's only a second year player. And the knock on him coming into the league was that he might be a project, you know, someone that took a long time to develop the polish to really reach his potential. So the fact that he looked so polished and professional when playing amongst other you know, talented young players. I mean, because the game I saw him in was when Milwaukee was playing Portland and, and Portland had their, you know, starting backcourt and, you know, you, you got these lottery draft picks out there and the Greek freak was just just killing them. So. So, yeah, I, I do look for him to make quite a bit of a leap this year. OK, well, let's uh, let, let's get away from the, the players a little bit and uh, start talking to the men on the sideline. Who is the first coach to be fired this season? This is a hard one. I'm going to go with Terry Stotts. Uh, I know Portland was was a surprise team last year, and I think that means expectations are pretty high there in Rip City. And you know, after last season, and and the West is so brutal. If if that team starts slow out of the gate, I think somebody's you know going to have to take a bit of the fall for that. And I think it might be the coach. The other one I'd keep an eye on would be Randy Whitman. Uh, if Washington starts slow at all again with the high expectations, uh, I think Whitman could get the axe. But I'll I'll, I'll go with Stotts. Yeah, um, yeah. It, 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 I like the um, Whitman mention. I don't know if anybody remembers, but when we did this segment last year. Uh, I called for Whitman to be the first coach to be fired. <laughs> so I was a little bit off in my prediction last year, you know, as, as Washington goes on to have their best season in years. But, um, you know, I've, I've seen too much of him underwhelming through the years. So, um, you know, what? I'm going to double down. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Randy Whitman. You know, the ironic thing is, I think I picked Terry Stotts last year, too. <laughs> no, folks, this isn't a rebroadcast of last year. This exactly. Is a, this is a new episode. All right, surprise team. I think we know my answer by now, but what's yours? Well, I was about to say, I think we might know uh, my answer by now, too. Uh, my surprise team is the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, a, a lot of it comes back down, really, to the old man, because Brooklyn last year looked a lot like New Jersey would have in previous years um, if you took away uh, Darren Williams and, and, and Brooke Lopez. You know, like they're, they're just they've, they've been in that 40 to 50 win range for quite a while now. Um, but I think with those two coming back healthy, uh, I think Lionel Hollins as an actual established coach with an actual system that, that he's implementing and it being a defensive first system. Um, I, I think those things really will help them to get back up into that echelon where people thought they were. And if he holds up, you know, if, if, if you've got a defensive player of the year caliber power forward, even if it's for 25 to 28 minutes a game, um, I think that gives them a dimension that they've never had, including last year when, for whatever reason, that player was playing 18 minutes a game. So the Brooklyn Nets are my pick for the surprise team this year. How about disappointing team? Who do you got? Hmm. Yeah, it's there are there are some options for that. I think the most logical place to look is in the West, just because 
in the East, it's hard to be that disappointing. Um, <laughs> it's a low bar, I think. Is what yeah, they call it. it's a very low bar to clear. Though, actually, you know what? No, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot. I'm gonna come back. Even though I picked them to to potentially eke in as a playoff squad, um, I'm gonna go with the New York Knicks as the most disappointing because even though they were bad last year. There's always expectations in Gotham and would bring in Phil Jackson and, and, and all of the hype that surrounds, you know, that surrounds his presence. I think that the expectations there um, will, will out, outstrip the results. So I'll, I'll go with the New York Knicks. Yeah, to me, that's like being disappointed by Britney Spears or somebody, you know, the, <laughs> the bar is so low for me already. But but um, it, this is a tough one, but I'm going to go with the Trailblazers. I like that team, actually, but if they underachieve and even miss the playoffs, which is entirely possible out West, given, you know, how tough it is, things could get really interesting with LaMarcus Aldridge's contract situation. And that leads us to the biggest name traded. Um, I think if Portland's situation plays out the way I just speculated, I could see, see it being Aldridge. But I'm going to go way out on a limb here, and I'm going to go with Carmelo Anthony. Oh, no, that, that was going to be mine. Oh, well, you, you give, me, give me your rationale. <laughs> My rationale was that, you know, there was always a question of his fit. Was he going to stay or go because he was a free agent? But honestly, I don't really see him as a Phil Jackson kind of guy, as a Phil Jackson kind of player. And, you know, if, as I just suggested, he was the, 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 they're the most disappointing team in the, in the NBA, I could see Phil at some point saying, you know what, let's just make a fresh start. We didn't want to lose him for anything. I mean, for nothing. So we, we had to try to resign him. But, um, you know, now that we can maybe trade and get some value for him, um, I, I, I could see Melo being on the move. I'm going to go the opposite angle. I know he just signed that big deal, but right when the deal was signed, there were reports that Carmelo's camp you know, made the decision to go back to New York because that's where the most money was and, he, and that he could always force his way out if he wanted to. And I think the Knicks are still a mess and the Phil Jackson honeymoon will go sour quickly. And I think Carmelo starts making noise that he wants out of there sooner rather than later. And we know we've seen how quickly things can, can turn on a dime with this guy. I can't believe you picked Mello. It's hilarious because nobody's going to believe that we didn't talk about that. But, you know, like we, we haven't even mentioned that. There's been no mention of it. But um, but yeah, uh, I, guess hope, I guess great minds think alike. Well, that segment was fun. And it's a nice segue into our regular feature around the NBA in five. Are you ready, Dre? Let's do it. All right. Washington Wizards literally fighting to be considered a threat. <laughs> Are you buying or selling? I'm selling on them as a threat to win a championship. I'm buying on them as a threat, as a playoff threat. Like they, they, they seem, they feel to me like the stereotypical playoff team. You know, they're pretty good across the board. Um, I like John Wall. I like Bradley Beal. Um, I like their bigs. You know, I, I like a lot about their team. But I just don't see either the player or the gestalt, if you will, that's going to uh, put them into the rarefied airs of winning a championship. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I think, you know, if Cleveland struggles at all or, you know, takes a little bit of time to kind of gel and fit those pieces together, I think both Washington and Chicago have a chance to kind of duke it out with them for your top three seed in the East. I like the way that team is put together. And honestly, I like what Pierce brings to that team. I think he, he brings a little bit of that veteran toughness, especially if they're not going to be looking for him to score 20 points a game. So I think they're an interesting team this year. So I'm going to say they're buying. I don't think they'll win a championship, but I think they're going to make some noise. Well, all right. We'll see if they're this year 
Lakers, uh, Indiana Pacers. So the Knicks are struggling to adjust to the triangle. Are they going to get it? No way, no how. Things are a mess in Gotham. You're better off watching Fox's new show Gotham than you are watching the Knicks this season. The honeymoon is going to be over, as I mentioned, with Phil Jackson really quickly. That team has the potential to just implode. I don't see Derek Fisher really commanding respect among those guys. It would be different if he'd had a relationship with some of them. I just, And that's just got trouble written all over it. Yeah, anytime uh, I saw a headline today, uh, J.R. Smith saying, you know, this triangle is a little bit harder than I thought. You know, um, the, the triangle is kind of a, a thinking man's offense. You know, the, 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 the types of players to do well in it are able to, you know, know where they are, know where their teammates are and, and really distribute the ball in, in precise ways. And it is a lot about geometry. And I just don't know that if, if they have the personnel that would really work in that type of system. I mean, Carmelo's outstanding scorer and he's a reasonable passer, so I think he could be one of the nodes, but I, I, I don't I, I just don't see them as a, a strong triangle team in addition to having the rookie coach. So yeah, um <laughs> uh, hopefully uh Hopefully they can match Gotham's ratings for the season. LeBron recently came out and said the Cavs are Kyrie's show. I think we've we've sort of heard this before, did haven't we? And we know how that worked out. Do you believe him? Of course not. Look, LeBron has always been very polished at saying what he feels are the right things um, to be, you know, humble publicly. I mean, all the way back, we were just talking about Carmelo Anthony. I remember them doing interviews with with uh, Melo and, and LeBron before they came to the NBA. And they said, well, who's the best player? And Melo was like, I don't know. We'll have to see. And LeBron pointed like, it's him. It's him. It's not him. LeBron knows it's not him. It's not Kyrie either. This is LeBron's team. They're, they're going to go as far as, as he carries them. He knows it. He's just trying to be polite. And, you know, I won't fault him for that. Yeah, I don't buy it. Um, you know, I think you're being a little bit kind, uh, calling him polished. I think it's it's transparent. It's probably the word that that I look for. <laughs> you know, it's gee, look at me. I'm such a humble guy, and there's there's not an authentic bone in his body. So, you know, we we know all the attention is going to be on him, and that's the way he wants it. And I think this is just part of it. Look at what an unselfish guy LeBron is, giving giving Kyrie all the you know the props coming in. When at the end of the day, it's just vanity. It makes him look good. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Um, so, uh, but um, besides LeBron and Kevin Love, who's the newcomer with the biggest impact in the NBA this year? As we've heard today, I'm all in on the Pelicans. I'm going to go with Omer Ashik. My man out of exile in Houston and alongside Dwight Howard. He goes to the Pelicans playing alongside Anthony Davis. I think he's going to be a huge impact on Davis's game and on the Pelicans' success this season. I can see that. Um, I'm going to stay in the East and, and go with Pau Gasol. Um, you asked about the Wizards earlier, and, and you know they've got some interesting pieces, but I still feel like uh, teams with championship aspirations have to be strong on the inside. And you know, I look at that Pau Gasol and, and Joakim Noah uh, front court. Uh, I think that's really dangerous. Well, over and under for the ten wins for the Sixers this season. What do you got? <laughs> Last one. We we got to hurry through this one. The buzzer's All about right. to go off. All right, I'll go with over. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. You are very kind today. I'm going to go under, and it could be way under. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, when this is like the perfect storm of losing, I, I think it's just going to be hideous to watch this season. And, and God rest the souls of the people in Philadelphia who stick with this team. And well, that's all the time we have for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz, Astro Vex, and Steph Legratteau. 
Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio and Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like our th- to, to thank our guest, Brian Mahoney of the Associated Press, for our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, and of course, my co-host, Andre Snellings of RotoWire. I'm Rich Conti, and we'll see you next Saturday with special guest Sean Devaney of Sporting News for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.